I look at it and I'm like, I have ultimately no regrets whatsoever. However, the if I had simply been working at a bar and multiplying and, and then rolling that those profits in, like the opportunity cost of my not doing that in the in instead of experimenting is like more than a hundred million dollars. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss, show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm speaking with an old friend of mine and Steve's who rented a desk in our office at one point, whose business we branded long ago, general boss of his life, and of course, his business, Cole Hopfuhrer. Cole is the chief executive fishmonger at Fine Fat Fish, where he has been popping people's stock cherries since 2010. He's the author of 12 Steps to Your First Stock and the supreme leader of the Your First Stock Workshop. We recently spoke and covered topics such as the importance of focus and how we both love doing new things more how Cole is multiplying his money every single year, and why building his business is a key part of that, where responsibility starts and ends when it comes to coaching people, and how one week on a cruise ship completely changed the course of Cole's life, and what you can learn from it too. You are in for a real treat, so buckle up, because here we go. Welcome to the show, Cole. Great to have you here. Well, I thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to hear everything. It's been a while. It's nice to see your face. Nice to see yours, too. I Actually, miss you. I miss you and Steve. We miss you so much. So I am in my podcast booth, which is where your desk used to be. Mm. Your desk was replaced with my podcast booth, but that's, you are missed. That's fair. That's fair. I'd rather it be you or Steve than somebody else. I'd be very jealous. Oh, yeah. Nobody could replace you. That was it. You are an anomaly. You are a unique individual, uh, living your best life, doing whatever you want, and been doing it ever since I've known you. Why don't you just start by giving the the 50,000 foot summary of what you've been doing over the past 10 years? <laughs> yeah, I would say I would trace it back to like 15, I guess. So there, yeah, there were two, it's funny having this conversation with you at this point in time. So there were two very productive confrontations that I've had in my life that had me go in a transformatively different direction. So the first one pertained to investing was my dad, who was a fighter pilot in Vietnam, and then eventually ran his own hedge fund and was on Wall Street and all that. And then was sort of semi-retired like living on a cruise ship that was orbiting the world and having several passive income vehicles sort of running and humming while he was on a cruise ship. When he found out that I was studying screenwriting, I got a phone call and I was like, hello. And he's just like, listen to me carefully, you silly son of a bitch. A man can leverage money or a man can leverage time. And you need to learn how to make money with your money because Lord knows you won't be making with your time, money with your time. And he hung up on me, pulled me out of college for a week and taught me investing one hour a day on the cruise ship. And uh, by the end of the third hour, I had everything I've needed to, you know, basically do whatever it is that I want to with my time because I'm usually doubling my money or better on a yearly basis in the stock market. And, and so that was one thing. And so then I was using that for some time from like 2006 to 2011 or 12, I would say, where I was using investing to subsidize taking like hard shots at writing. And so what that ended up being was me having sort of like the best representation that you could get in publishing and in television and film 
where my representatives were basically being like, if you're smart enough to write something like this, why would you be so stupid as to think I can sell it? Like, get me something that you know, you might consider a derivative, but you know that I can sell it. And I'm like, I really, really don't want, that's not the path I want to go. And about that time, I was having a really terrible experience shopping a book. And I was in your office that you're sitting in right now with one of in one of your beloved poker tournaments and you're like pretty trashed on vodka and you're and you uh point and i'm telling you about this stuff and you're obviously as you do asking smart questions listening carefully and eventually you were like yeah you know it's cute that you have this like big agent shopping this big book to big publishers but don't you think a book's a shit business model and um and that was that is a rhetorical question i don't remember that yeah of, of course of course you don't you go around doing that like 40 times a week you would you would forget but like it it, it shifted me it was a, like obviously like some people would hear that and be like oh, you bitch but like to me like i heard that at exactly the in exactly the right way at exactly the right moment and i started thinking about that and i was like every single dollar that i've ever made has come with very little effort in a very contrarian way and all of my struggles have come from doing things in a way that i was like academically and formally prepared to do without real regard for the and so that is what got me to begin what has been a very long and interesting journey of, of having my own business and not sort of like only knowing how to operate Microsoft Word to write an immaculately worded document that I then use Gmail to beg some rep to sell for me, where you're actually mm -hmm. like selling your own wares. And so, you know, as you as you always have to do without really knowing all the things that were going to be involved, which is the same if you're going to get in, involved in anything, including getting married or inv becoming an investor, or becoming an entrepreneur or whatever, like that made me commit to starting the journey. And that would have been like late 2014. And then you guys helped me take it from idea to find fat fish where I had a website and a mascot and like a vision and all of these things obviously over time have had to be like regressively evol aggressively evolved. But like that was, that was, it was just like with investing. It was like just somebody who came along and cared enough, even if they don't remember it in retrospect to like sho to shove you, to shove you into the deep end. And like make you take like a bigger shot on yourself. And it's funny to me to think about that in retrospect, because like coming out of Bronxville, New York, where I'm from, like Westchester, being a screenwriter seemed so exotic. Like being like, you know, and like it was like a big deal to people. Like that was like they put me in that box with such gusto. But if you actually think about it, it's pretty modest. Like like going about being just a writer where you're having these people shop your stuff, take 85% of the profit. And then and then take away your your creative control. It's actually a pretty modest dream compared to doing it yourself. If you're being honest with yourself. Yes, I do remember that. And you and I have had so many conversations about that over the years because 2014. I mean, we did that brand for you. 2014. I think it was like beginning of 2015. We did that brand for you, and then and then after or maybe before you moved into our office for a little bit. Yeah, it was in your years. I was, 2015 and 2016. I was a resident of worst of all, <laughs> right. which was yeah, some of, my, some of my favorite times. Yeah, it was basically it was funny, like whenever it was just me and Steve, because me and Steve can talk for, I don't know, 18 hours consecutively. But then at oh, a yeah. certain point, we both know that it's too procrastinate, but then we can't stop. Like it mm -hmm. starts being like a useful conversation and then it just devolves into like hyper creative procrastination. But then every time that you walked in, it would take on a much more 
sort of like stern and results oriented <laughs> vibe. Yeah, I and I enjoyed Great. I enjoyed both of those very much, both aspects. Yes, I was I was the mom of the office. Okay, guys, get to work. Let's make shit happen today. Yeah, I would I would say so. I would say so. Yeah, and it basically like the time that I spent there it's funny, I, I'm still ambivalent because like, you know, like you thrust me into the water. I didn't really know enough to know what I didn't know in certain ways with respect to marketing to me is the most complicated aspect of business. Like I have it compartmentalized to your product, your distribution, your marketing, your sales, and then your reinvesting of your assets. And to me, like the most feared pieces of that is marketing, sales and investing. And probably the hardest part is marketing, which is obviously your your world. And it's become it's had to become my world. Although I'm so I wouldn't say that I'm a specialist by any means, but for me, like I began experimenting with approaches in your office. And since then, well, I guess another key piece of the story was like you guys helped me create a like a very attractive website, and then you helped me think about like what my brand identity and voice was, like what are you against in this? And so I created a bunch of stuff and I wasn't like monetizing it in a deliberate way but like people happen to see it and one of them was this woman in the Australian financial industry happened to see my website and she shot me a, an email and she was like I would imagine that you're having trouble putting this into the world but this is the first she's like I've been in finance for 10 years and this is the first time that I've seen something in quite some time that makes me not feel dead inside she's like I will set up a university speaking tour in Australia if you'll if you'll come do it and so that's what got me out of New York. And then since then, I've been on the road and it's been three and a half years now. It's crazy. And basically, I've been going from, I would spend two years going from country to country every three months. And basically, as long as you could go somewhere as an American without having to get a, like a proper visa, you could just go there on a visa waiver. I would go and I would meet as many people as I could, usually like join some kind of a community and upskill in some way and then bounce to the next place. And then I did that for two years, like like enroll. I'd usually like join a gym and then like enroll one or two clients, uh, make some friends, you know, join a business community, make some friends and then go to the next place. And I was really like finding Jeez, my- That sounds was, exhausting. It was so much fun. God, it was fun. You know, with like the rationale that's like, wh- like you know, I, w- I assumed that I was eventually going to come back to New York. And I was like, when do I ever have the chance to go to like Wellington, New Zealand or like Fiji again? Right. Like it's probably not going to happen with the busy lives that we lead. And so that was that was like humming along. And my plan was to go to Hawaii and then um, sort of z- slowly work my way back like across Europe and then come back to the States. But that it, it you know, it's good news net, obviously, but. I met a woman in Wellington who put the kibosh on my will to keep wandering. And so I came back here and I've been here for like a year and a half. And that's it. We've lost so, you to New Zealand. I feel like that's, I, well, not necessarily forever, but definitely for the intermediate. But I feel like those three pieces, the cruise ship, your poker confrontation, and then the Australian tour, that kind of like those to me, like as I bird's eye this, I never talk about this because obviously like when, I mean, as you're doing right now, when you're running your business, you should be asking 90% good questions about the people sitting in front of you. It's like, I don't ever talk about this or think about it. But as I think about it now, those are the three like formative events. And now here we are. And here we are. Oh, I didn't realize a poker game. Those poker games were epic. I'm so glad something something big came out of that for you. This is, it's funny that you say marketing. I mean, you have had to become a really good marketer. And over the years, and especially when you were here, I mean, you and I were both simultaneously figuring out marketing together. And it is it is the biggest topic. And it's not something that anyone can dominate. There's so many aspects to it. 
Yeah, uh, agreed. Think, the best yeah. you can do is is dominate one sliver of it, unless you're working like maybe Tony Robbins style with like a multi-decade reputation or something. But if if you're if you're anywhere near neophyte, like you, the best you can do is have one piece that you're kicking ass at. And I would say that you are your Forbes stuff. I think is consistently strong, and you've been doing it at a pretty prolific clip. Thank you. Yeah, the Forbes keep is the gift that keeps on giving. It's uh, it's it's really hard for me to stay focused, actually. I mean, I think you and I probably, well, I don't know. You do jump around. You get really myopic in your work, <laughs> but sometimes like you go down a path mm. too far and then you get distracted. I kind of do the opposite. I like go really hard on something for a little while and then I, and then I see something else and I want to try that. And, you know, Forbes, actually Steve and I, Steve is the one who's been pushing for us to let's focus on Forbes more. That's always done good stuff for us. And I kind of take it for granted. And I keep trying these other things, but, mm. you know, pick one or two places and just go hard on them. That's what I'm trying to remember this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, for me, I'm still in the process of getting this dialed in. Like for me, like, I don't know, like investing wise, right? Because like what I do is for in, for anyone other than you who probably doesn't realize, like what I do is I help the average person who wants to really wants to do this or needs to for some reason who needs more capital double their money or better every three years by investing it themselves as a hobby um, usually stocks in companies that make things that they're addicted to that they believe in for the future is the best vehicle to do that and in doing that like in teaching it of course like you get even better at it than you were before but so for me like I'm up more than 200% so far this year in stocks based on two hours of work I did on January 1st. And so for me, like, I'm like, I've arrived. Like, I feel like it's moving in slow motion. Obviously, uh -huh. what happens in a five, six, seven month period is often luck. But what happens in a two or three year period is not. And, and so for me, like a big sort of like the bane of my existence, but also attached to that is like the golden opportunity is how do you get your income system as strong as your investing system? And then when you have both of those pieces, is clicking where they're effective and efficient. I wouldn't say that you're done, but I would say that a great deal of life's hardships are behind you. When you say your income system, do you mean your business with marketing and selling your consulting services? Yes, exactly. And then, I mean, if you wanted to set something up other than that, but for me, like, and I totally agree, like, you don't want to go too myopic, but you need to go deep enough in one thing until you have mastery, until it's working, rather than try. It's like the Bruce Lee thing. Like, I don't fear the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks one time. I practice the man, I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. Like, you have one thing that is your bread and butter, and then you can start diversifying from there, which you might be doing for all I know, because I know that you're doing a good job in your Facebook group. I know that you're doing a good job with the Forbes, the sort of like guest post game. So, but for me, yeah. it's like, I, I know we're both uh, clients on demand alums where we went through that program for me, like I found a hot you second for me. I was there for a hot second. Yeah, I <laughs> you did it for a lot longer. Are I'm, you still doing it? How's I'm, it going? I'm still like, for you're me, still doing it. That, oh, that's, reson you. that's resonated as like the model for me that works. I mean, like obviously like COD isn't the only group that does that, but they're just the people that introduce it to me, but basically like targeted advertising, webinar marketing, some email marketing, and then that like enrollment system. For me, mm -hmm. like that works. It was, it's worked well. And so for me, I'm in the process of just getting that to the same level as investing, which is obviously going to take years. But but for me, like those are the two, those are the two systems, so like my fine fat fish system and that system. And then once you get to a point where you're like truly efficient with your time with both, then start doing other things. And so for me, that, that's like Elon Musk said it so well when he said that running your own business is like chewing glass while staring into the abyss. 
It's like working on something that you don't want to be working on because you're eyeing the inevitability of your own demise if you don't. Like that to me, like I am very in touch with that emotion. And that's definitely my relationship with with learning this aspect of it right now. Because like, you know, me and Steve both have these things where like we come up with whimsical ideas for breakfast by the dozen, like all of which yeah. you really want to see through. But it's like you got to focus on the one thing until it's done. Yes. Uh, and he was talking about stocks a lot this year because you guys had been talking about them. And I told him, look, in or out, you know, either you're doing this or you're not. But this is he just was talking about it and following, you know, his picks that he had with you and how they were going up. And he was really excited. I was like, well, you didn't put any money into it. So no, exactly. it doesn't really that's matter. Funny, that's, been, that's been my experience lately <laughs> with, with ENFPs. ENFPs yeah. get so excited about the idea that they forget to follow through on it. It's like uh-huh. you, get, you, you like you like knock yourself out from your neck muscles, like collapse your body from talking about it so much that you then don't do something. And so for me, it's like, I don't know. That's an interesting thing that I'd be interested hearing about on your end is like thinking about ideal client because you were the first person that I ever heard said ideal clients only. And like that is a mantra to live by. But for me, it's been tricky totally coming to a conclusion about who that is because Mm -hmm. you you have an idealistic vision about who that should be. But then you mm-hmm. have, then you have, you do have to take a hard look at the data, and obviously it's very useful if you're spending a lot of money on advertising. Be like, who is it really? Like, who are you actually willing to bet two hundred bucks a call on, etc.? Mm-hmm. And and so for me, like the concept of the bleeding neck, where like if like the people that really really need it, who are also able to do it, and so like you know, and, and who for, is that? That doesn't even make any sense. Oh, for, well, in my in my experience. Somebody who's saying something like, I want and need 70% of my life to be different, but it isn't because if I retire right now, I would outlive my money. So for mm-hmm. me, like I talked to like a 55 year old who's accumulated a couple hundred thousand dollars and knows that they need three times as much in like seven years by the time they retire because their body is starting to give out. Like I talked to some talk to people who are like, you know, like working in like prisons or working in like working in like very, very demanding jobs. And like, imagine if like I read recently had a uh, blood clot that caused a pulmonary embolism, which is like very fun. Like it gives me Dangerous. a little, yeah, I almost died. And like, I, it gives you a little bit of visibility into like, if that happened to you when you were like 55 and now you're dragging your body into work because you need the money, but you don't know yeah. where, you don't know where to invest the money. And oh my God, wait, am I having a heart attack? Should I go to the infirmary? No, they're going to fire me. So you have to like play through that kind of thing. Like that to me, that's like literally the definition of a bleeding neck. And so like people who are out there like that, to me, like the more that I think about it, if you're really going to narrow it in both a pragmatic, but also like, I don't know, like a philanthropic direction, it would be the people that like, if they don't do this now, they're going to run out of resources when they retire. Like, so it's like emergency financial surgery, you could say, rather than like, you know, like people like Steve, and I talked to people who are like 25 with similar brains, like, it would be really nice if I quadrupled, like, it would be so nice. But then if you talk to people that are like, if I don't do like, if my spouse died, I would be fucked. Like those kinds of people, it's a different thing. Yeah, but I thought that your philosophy, tell me if I'm wrong. I thought your philosophy was you only want to be investing in these in this using this strategy with money you don't need. Right. Well, I don't disagree unless you absolutely need a change, in which case there are things you can do. And so like one thing that's probably become a more important piece of my messaging since I was in worst of all 
is mm-hmm. discerning between perceived risk and real risk. Mm-hmm. So like what seems risky and what is actually risky. And so like if you look at if you look across any financial messaging you see like investing is gambling, therefore do diversify and like there's really no mainstream counter argument to that stuff. And it's like mm. if you if you actually take half half a thoughtful look under the hood you can see that there is so many shitty assumptions going into the diversification mentality and mm. and also that if you have a decent financial infrastructure because it's definitely true that most people are building nonsense on top of nonsense where like mm. they're taking aggressive investments that don't make sense built on top of a defensive infrastructure that doesn't make sense mm. and so like if you're making more money than you're spending if you do not have high interest debt and if you have something of a cash shield as i call it that protect protects you financially and psychologically uh, and you're investing in things that seem risky but aren't risky then it's really not like any real like threat is an apparition and that actually is that um, misunderstanding on behalf of like all of society is like your best opportunity to transform your nest egg as a hobby. Well, I'm going to talk out of my ass right now, but this year must be the perfect time to exemplify that. I mean, the stock market right now, my dad was just telling me yesterday and again, I'm not paying attention because he he got in on Motley Fool. He's a big Motley Fool fan. I told him, oh, God, tell my friend Cole. And he said he's up, yeah, like 200% in the last couple of months. Like crazy stuff. They they hit them all. I can't believe you're saying you were up 200% from January 1st. I figured that you would have been making bank based on what was happening since March. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, double or tripling your money in any period. Because like, you know, the S&P, like the market is supposed to double your money every seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So like tripling your money should take like two decades. So like, right. if you like, that's like, it's an insane amount of progress, no matter how you slice it. But yeah, like, it just goes one, one of the things that definitely is worth knowing is like, I don't know. And I think you remind me of this, because I don't think this happens to you. But like, when I was in New York, especially, and you're talking to people that like, truly know what they're talking about, people that have like, scary levels of objective success, like centimillionaires, etc., those people never, ever get trapped in bad assumptions. They tend to ask really, really, really smart and basic questions. And they make crucial, if they make any suggestion at all, it is like with utter simplicity. And so like they are never sort of turning something into something that's needlessly complex and they never get anything wrong. And so the reason I say that is most people, you would assume on common sense that the market would have plummeted in the wake of Donald Trump and COVID and whatever. Right. And it just goes to show that nobody can predict the market. It doesn't mm-hmm. make it, it. There's just there's no way to do it. The the only way that you can really do it, in my opinion, is you do it on a company by company basis, according to your own experience and your own research. And like you can do that, but if you're thinking that you can understand the entire world, where the entire world is going to go, according to something like COVID or Trump versus Biden or whatever else, I mean, like you're probably headed for a painful fall if you're putting real stakes on that. I mean, I've, right. I've, I've seen that happen to uncontrollably intelligent people that just get trapped by their own narcissism. Yep. Well, so can I ask you something that you said earlier about your about your need to have two different income sources, your passive income and then your your business income. But you're making so much money with your investing. Why? What is the income producing business for, if not for the challenge and enjoyment of figuring out and building it? And if that's the case, then I can understand the chewing glass analogy just because it's challenging. But like, it's all a choice for you, isn't it? 
Well, that's true, but it's like, so like for me, since 2007, I have been cannibalizing investments to subsidize my experimentation. Mm-hmm. And if you look I at love. it, if true you entrepreneur. Yeah. And if you look at it, I mean, like, it basically is like living like a very avant-garde retiree where like you have this lump of money that you're multiplying and then siphoning some off to pay for things and that's it. And so for me, like, that's been by design. Like I've, I heard early on that 90% of the money that anybody makes comes after age 40. And until, until you're 40, what it's about, if it's not about money, is about building skills, relationships, and experiences. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I look at it and I'm like, I have ultimately no regrets whatsoever. However, the if I had simply been working at a bar and multiplying and, and then rolling that those profits in, like the opportunity cost of my not doing that in the instead of experimenting is like more than a hundred million dollars. So for me, it's like you really should, just like as a matter of course, have each piece of this clicking. Um, just for like yourself or your family, you know what I mean? Like you should, you can build generational wealth by putting those two things together. And also like by doing this, as I've learned, and you were the first person to ever introduce premium pricing as like a necessity into my thought process. And the more that I've experimented with this, the more I see that charging a premium price is actually necessary to get people to do something. Mm-hmm. I have tried. I have tried. I had my book published. The whole thing. Steve helped me like beautify a free twelve steps to your first dog resource. It got featured. <laughs> featured right. by, it got featured by Kirk is the world's toughest bookstore as like a very good primer, etc. I had that online for free for years, and people are just like, you know, it's just really hard to follow through on, and all this, and like I've tr- I've done my workshop. Like I recently helped like an Australian who works in a mine who's 28 who came to me with like a preternatural level of like I hate my life. I need to. I want to retire by 35. I want to get the fuck out of this job, uh, and I don't know how to invest my money. I helped him turn like 80 grand into 620 grand in the last two years and three months. And like these kinds of things, but he anted up for that. And when I've done the same service for people for free or cheap, they mm-hmm. don't do anything and they complain mm-hmm. that it's hard. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, it actually is truly like it meshes together, like doing well by doing good is like, you have to seriously monetize the service for people who really want it and really can do it. And in that way, all of the pieces come together and it works in harmony. And if you don't, then you're cannibalizing your investments and you're not really helping people move forward. I love that you've had that experience. I think it's particularly true in your line of work because the the balls you have to have, even if even if we believe you, Cole, that this is not as risky as it seems because of mainstream messaging that we're getting, you have to really be bought in to actually put your money where your mouth is. And so... Yeah, you're just not going to trust that kind of that kind of advice if it's cheap or free. I'm glad you're having that experience. I think that's true with almost any with almost any service. I've definitely experienced that, of course, many times. And actually, I've experienced that clients are not just it's not just that they follow through. It's it's like they're easier to work with. They're more they're more thankful for the work. They get they get better results because of that whole mentality that they come into the project with. They they believe in it more. And and we all know the power of your mind. If you believe something is going to work, if you put that positive energy into it, and I don't mean in a woo-woo way, I mean in a very tangible way, like you approach something with that kind of enthusiasm and gusto um, and buy-in, in your case, like actually putting $80,000 to work, that's the only way you're going to have this kind of uh, results. I mean, look, 
So, so you did back in the day, cause we had to do the process, right? We did your process mm. a long time ago and we, and we just did it to, to invest like $500 each and Steve's up like 700% or something with Amazon, but he did it. You guys, we like traded. I mean, you did it for free. Like, so of course we were just putting in $500. If he had put in a significant amount of money right there, that would have been enough. Yeah. If, I, been if I, if I had charged you guys brand up prices, you probably would have made like a couple million dollars by case in point well, we didn't have any money to invest in but but to be fair well that, but, but uh, that's what's interesting about it too is like because i i think about you guys all the time because i'm like yeah the opportunity cost of that was extreme however are small business owners the right client for this and like one of the things that i've realized is like you need the mentality of an entrepreneur but you also need the stability of an employee mm-hmm. and sometimes people cha- like get upset about being called employees they're like well call us professionals i'm like, okay that's fine but like you need you need both and so like an established small business owner which i'm sure you and steve certainly are now where we're just all getting started then makes sense but to me mostly it's like somebody who who is on who like has resources and has like a finite time of being able to work still who like basically doesn't have time to fuck around anymore. Therefore they have to grow courage. Like it's just Mm -hmm. necessary to me. That Mm -hmm. makes the most sense, but really anybody who, I don't know. I ran into one other thing that I thought was so interesting where the basic philosophy that's being taught at places like Stanford, this professor in particular that has taught like the people who created Instagram and like the major social media, Mm -hmm. the basic strategy is if you're going to compel someone to do anything, whatever it is, they need to want to do it. They need to be able to do it and they need to be prompted to do it. And so like ultimately that's all that all of this is, is like finding the people that want to do it making sure that they're able to do it. And then if everything seems right, prompting them to do it. And it is as simple as that, ultimately. And so that can be anybody. But in my experience, yeah, it tends to be people who, ironically, people who have less time tend to be more capable of audacity and patience. Mm. And so you've been doing Facebook ads to find those people this whole time. Mm. These well, last couple not, of years, not this, not this whole time. I when oh. I moved to New Zealand, I had I had to wait for my work visa, so I wasn't advertising, and that was a bit of an opportunity cost in terms of experience. But yeah, I've I've gotten enough data to know sort of how to do it in a pretty targeted way. So you're running your own Facebook ads. Yeah, you've been doing that this whole time. How's mm, it not, going? Yeah, I have gotten. How long have you been doing it? Wait, just tell me. Well, so I ran, I ran like. I'm about to get back into them, so I'm curious. All right, I I ran like a hundred, hundred and fifty dollar a day campaign for like two months, and then I had to turn it off for visa reasons that I just said. And basically, if I ran it too broad, it didn't work. But if mm-hmm. I ran if I ran it at the right age range with the right interest range, the, mm-hmm. then then I was getting you could see through the data that I was getting breakthrough calls, as they say, mm-hmm. with right. good fit clients, as they say, for mm-hmm. between fifty and one hundred and twenty dollars. Wow. Yeah, that's and that, you know that's the whole philosophy that I was talking about earlier. And so it's like dialing that in is probably the best thing you could do. Although I I do fear it's funny like I feel like people unfairly demonize. Uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook considering the, the amount of good that they're doing like I've been using messenger to text and call people for free for like three and a half years I don't even need a phone I don't need Verizon or whatever so like there's a lot of good that they've done but it is I do fear them I feel like if you over rely on them it's a little scary yes. and so like you do want to dial that in but you also do want to diversify your bonds a bit which you've done on Forbes really well and you just want to have a couple you want to have a couple of ways that you're equally enthusiastic about and I think that's worth that's worth the extra time and the extra money 
And I think I have gone back and forth on that, those two options, and it doesn't have to be either or, but the idea of, yes, it's very scary if your whole business is reliant on Facebook advertising, especially because I know like back in the day when I was doing it really intensely, and then it felt like the algorithm changed and all of a sudden everything goes up and your whole business funnel is is dead or you have to re, you know, figure it out. And so because of that, I definitely diversified. And now I've been going back to this idea of focusing again. I was just watching a video by, you know, Taki Moore. I feel like you like Taki Moore. I actually don't know who that is. Oh, you don't? Okay. Hmm. I don't know why I think you know him. Anyway, he's just one of these gurus, whatever. I watched a video of his the other day and he said, you know, I know how you get to a million in income. You pick one, you know, you made a little, uh, pyramid. You pick one product, one target market, one traffic source, one conversion tool, and you just do that for a year. That's how mm. you do it. And and I think there's a lot of merit to that. It's very simple, but it makes a lot of sense. And that's something I'm terrible at because, you know, I try something two months later, I'm like, eh, it's, and I have such high standards for what profitable means to me that I forget. What does it mean sometimes. to you? What is, what is profitability? I, I more mean like kind of numbers wise. So for example, like I had been, my goal for for my for our online course, right? $1000. My goal since since freaking 5 years ago has been I just want that thing to be producing $30,000 a month in income. Like mm. that's my goal. And I have been doing things to try to get it to that to that level, that consistent level for years. I've taken different courses, I've worked with coaches, I've tried different different approaches and I I have I've hit that number many times, but I haven't hit it consistently. Mm. And certainly, and certainly if I'm not really working at it, it's not happening at all. Mm. But when it was consistently bringing in six, eight, 10,000 a month, all I could focus on was the fact that it wasn't 30,000 a month. And in retrospect, it's like, oh no, that's, that's great. I said that to one of my ex-business coaches the other day. And he was like, are you serious? You have something that just brings in like six to $10,000 a month consistently without you doing anything specific for it. I was like, yeah, but it's not the 30,000 that I was trying for. He was like, yeah, but that's amazing. You're right. That is amazing. <laughs> I forget because I am so focused on the big picture. Anyway, mm -hmm. so my point I being- I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So my point being that because I can get really focused on a certain goal and then if I don't hit it, I kind of become distracted because I'm like, oh, this isn't working. It's like, no, no, it's working just fine. It's just not work. It's just not hitting that goal that you had. And so I end up, I end up trying, I end up changing course and trying new things quite a bit. Also because I get excited by new things. I mean, I, I am, I don't want to say it's shiny object, but I just get really into learning a new thing or mm -hmm. tackling a new thing that motivates me. Like continuing along on a path for a year, oh, that just doesn't, that just doesn't energize me. So I, even if I that I would totally make more understand. money, you I know totally what I mean? <laughs> me, I think me, me, you and Steve in that particular way are definitely cut from the same cloth mm -hmm. where like the idea of doing the same thing at the same time every day indefinitely is like oh. a, a death sentence where for a lot yes. of people that's, that's like bread and butter. They love that. And so, but no, but, uh, but at the same, oh, it's like a, it's, it's kind of an oxymoron. I don't know if that's the right word, but a lot of entrepreneurs I bump into say that. And I have to school them on the fact that being super focused, like for example, niching, niching down in the kind of oh, work yeah. that you're going to do or the who you're going to focus on. You know, they say, oh, it's going to be boring. I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. And I think that there's actually something very interesting at mastery. So when you focus on one thing and you go at it hard, it's not that you're doing the same thing over and over again. It's the repetitive, re repeating a process. For example, our brand up, our brand ups aren't boring. Everyone is different. Everyone is 
everyone is going to a new level because we're learning Mm. from each one and we're getting better at it. And that's a mastery. I think mastery is very interesting. This isn't that though. This is something, this is not quite the same thing. Or maybe it's just that I I think you need to focus in your business. And I think it's really important to focus um, in what you offer and, and to become a master at something. But I don't know. I think you got to find, it's like, I don't know, you could say it about anything, but like we crave stability and then variety on like a, Uh on a a swing, (laughs) on a swinging pendulum. And you just got to like find that balance for you. I'm interested though, what you said about, so you use goals to get, that's the prime galvanizing thing for you is like you set a goal and then you're like, let's fucking get it. And then you start sprinting. Is that how it goes? A hundred percent. And I'm really working on it. <laughs> what do you mean? That sounds like a good, that sounds like a good, pretty wholesome habit in the scheme of things. You know, it, it uh, has worked out for me very well and it gets me a lot of things, but I don't think, I think it's, it's a crutch. I actually think it's kind of an addiction and I don't necessarily think in the, gr- in the greater scheme of my life, it's not something I want to be addicted to. It's something that I want to be able to do, but I don't want to be beholden to it. Mm. I've noticed just recently, like I was going out of my mind the last couple of weeks. Oh, you know what I cracked open? Thank you very much. Speak like Churchill, that book. That's my probably the I best know. book that I've ever read about writing. I know. And it's about speaking. What's it called? Speak stand. like Churchill, stand like Lincoln. Okay. Great book. You recommended it to me years ago when I was writing my book. Yeah. For anyone um, listening to this, I would say it's a really great thing for rewriting. Not like don't fucking touch it until you're done with your bad first draft. But if you're trying to punch up something for, for presenting especially for speaking, but it could be a written piece too. Uh, it is like, I am unaware of a better book to help you with rewriting. It's an amazing book. I, I had kind of forgotten about it. I, I mean, it helped me a lot when I was writing my book, but now I'm working on my TED Talk. Okay. Mm. So I'm going out of my mind with this TED Talk, Cole. I mean, there's just so many possibilities and I want it to be so amazing. And there's so much, there's so much pressure. And obviously it's another goal thing, but I bring it up because the goal is less clear and specific. And I think that's why it's driving me a little crazy. And I actually, the reason that I might be like, I want to, there is a clear, tangible goal, write a TED talk, you know, be ready to perform a TED talk. Okay, great. That's tangible. But inside of that, it could be so many different things. And you know, me deciding that it's good enough or the best, the greatest, the most viewed TED talk of all time. Yeah. That's obviously the goal. Yeah. So, So right. The goal, that and yes. then work backwards. So the goal, so there are tangible goals that you can have, right? Like how many views, like how well received it is. I could put tangible goals on that, but that those goals aren't something that I can, once the talk has been done, I can do marketing and, and try to get it out there. But to actually craft the talk, it's just not as specific as I like, as I am addicted to. And mm. I'm realizing this just in the last couple of days because it was it was uh, really hard. I was working on it. It was feeling very draining. And then I started thinking about the Facebook ads and those are so tangible and specific. And I started getting really excited and I realized, oh, it's like I'm feeding my own addiction. Like, oh, I want to do this other thing that's really clear and specific with with numbers and Excel sheets because I like it. And it, You're it like 50 cents. That's what 50, 50 cents. I'm addicted to success. Fifty cents line that you're you're just like him. I wouldn't call that success. I'm addicted to I'm addicted to the numbers. I don't know. The I'm metrics. addicted to the, t- the metrics. Yeah, I, I I need the measurement. I, I like distracted the by I get distracted by goal setting because for me I sit around. Like, have you ever done a course no. where, like, the first piece of it is writing your mission statement? Yes, like, to me, like, I, I have people. <laughs> I have people do that, but it's yeah. like 
you, I put a time limit and a space limit on it because if you don't, you can literally sit there and ponder your future for like six months. Like you have to be very, very careful with those kinds of goals in my experience anyway. And Steve would, but Steve, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd be you like, no, I got this. I would write it in 10 minutes and it'd be next. Yeah, you got to be careful with, well, I guess it's like, yeah, because me and you, I mean, I I continue to be, I realize that I talk about Myers-Briggs the way that like a religious zealot talks about their religion. <laughs> so I try to, I try to dial it back. But for me, it's like, if you have someone who's like, because me and you are cut from the same cloth, except that I'm a P and you're a J. And so for me, the it's like it's about the swinging pendulum where it's like, have you considered this enough? And then have you made your choice? And it's like, what is the minimum effective dose of information you need before you make the choice? And like a, like a hard J will like not do enough of that and a hard P will never do it. We'll just never complete it. And so it's like, you got to be pretty mindful of, like I keep a, a symbolic coin on my desk where it's like if something, if it just, eventually you just got to J it and flip a coin if, if you're really that torn on it. Are you a hard P? I am as about as much of one yeah. as you be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I guess I at, least, at least I'm decisive about that. I know that. <laughs> I guess I did watch you be a hard P in our office for about three years. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. We tend to create stacks of stacks of paper. For me, like one of the most useful things that I've done for, because I like the workshop that I do attracts a lot of people that are in love with ideas. And investing is great for that because all you got to do is get incredibly excited about an idea, vet the hell out of it, and then make your choice, make your investment. And the best thing you could do at that point usually is walk away. Like look at mm -hmm. you and Steve. You and Steve have, have done as well as you have in those investments. You haven't even thought about them probably in like five years. So like mm -hmm. it, it, it is very P friendly. But at the mm -hmm. same time, there is execution that needs to be done until the job is done, until you front loaded mm -hmm. the work. And so like one of the most useful things, I, by accident, I worked with this this woman in New Zealand who like comes up with ideas for breakfast, but struggles with follow through. And and the best thing I did for her actually it was nothing to do with investing. It was I introduced her to this app called Forest that basically turns your phone, which is your biggest liability into a stopwatch where like you like you can't leave the app while the stopwatch is on and then it tells you how many trees you've planted especially like the pomodoro technique on a, in an app and like she ended up sharing that with other members of the New Zealand Navy and so like allegedly this is like gone like wildfire through the New Zealand Navy this app this like time management app and so if you struggle with that anyone listening to this I would recommend forest. very much forest it's very good how is it saving trees what oh no sorry so forest is it's actually you can plant real trees but it's just an app where you select a task that you need to do and then you select a time so between pomodoro. like I mean I get the pomodoro yeah, yeah yeah and so whenever you you complete whenever you complete a pomodoro you get to like fin like a tree shows up in your like virtual forest oh, and if you then if you tree. leave if you leave the app the tree dies like a pretty gruesome and sad death <laughs> and so you really don't you really don't gotcha. want to kill this poor tree you know gotcha. Like it probably, Tamagotchi. It would be, if, it, if they did it with animals, I'm sure it would be way more effective. Yeah, you would not want to kill like a little kitty with your incompetence. That's cool. Well, maybe we'll hear about it. I'll I'll download that. I need something like that. I don't think you, I don't think you, I don't think ideas. you don't get distracted. I don't think that you would get. I don't get distracted unless I'm working on some of these more abstract projects, which, by the way, is most of what I do these days. I mean, the abstract, the high ideas, like writing a TED talk, like conceptualizing where this podcast is going to go. That's the that's the kind of work that you are probably really great at that I have a hard time with because the outcome, sometimes you can work on it for 
three hours and not have anything more on paper. Or you could have written 10 pages, but it's not like you're any farther ahead. It doesn't feel like it to me. Steve keeps reminding me, you absolutely are farther ahead because that is the work you had to do in order to get to wherever you're going. But it's not satisfying to me. It's a question of like, what is too patient and what is too impatient and like straddling that balance. Because I totally agree. Like you can make major intangible progress. However, if, you know, two or three years have gone by and you can't point to something, you're doing it wrong. Like I know that it took, it took Cameron Crowe, I think his name is, seven years to write Jerry Maguire. And it's like, all right, it's like that ended up being a very successful movie, but like that was quite a long time to write Mm -hmm. a a finished 90 pages, like that Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. It's like you could debate it, but like that's ultimately what it's about. You're like, I can see why that would be a struggle for you. And I think that, you know, having, it's like anything else. And I'm finding the same thing in the workshop that I do is like, it's really nice to work with a couple that balances each other out. And you and Steve were one of the first iterations of that that I've ever seen, where you have like the impatient one who executes and then the much more patient one who ideates and then they like help each other sort of through their weaknesses. We are extreme in those regards. And it is our greatest superpower in our business and our greatest weakness <laughs> because it is Why is the, because it is the biggest point of contention between us. Oh, inevitably. Can you imagine? I, I mean, can I, you imagine? <laughs> there's a course, there's a course that you could teach right there. How to, how to run a business with your partner. Jesus, the emotional navigation of that is bewildering. I don't even know. Well, we are always working on it. I mean, it is not, it is always a work in progress because we're always evolving and changing. And But it's good to notice that because can you imagine the first few years of our relationship, we were not aware of it. So at mm. least now we're very aware of it. And you can see it in our dynamic constantly. I mean, it is, it is, if we're not paying attention, it's a literal war of Steve, like in the clouds, talking about some idea and me like trying to write down the next three steps and him like fighting it or me writing the next three steps and being like, great, I'm going to go do this. And him going, when did we decide that? I mean, it reminds me so much that that dynamic and it's similar because like you had the similar impact on me at the aforementioned uh, drunken poker tournament with the immaculate (laughs) league of advice. We're like, I saw this thing. I guess this has been when I wasn't properly using the Forest app on my phone, I drifted into nonsense and then stumbled onto gold in that pile of crap, which was Will Smith telling the story of how he was like struggling hard and he was at this party that Quincy Jones was throwing. And for some some reason, he was Quincy Jones talked a TV producer into letting Will Smith slash making Will Smith audition for Fresh Prince at the party on the spot. And Will Smith was like, no, Quincy, like, I need to go home and prepare. He's like, listen, he's like, you could take 10 minutes and change your life right now. Like, get the fuck out there. And then he went out, crushed it, and then he became the Fresh Prince and his whole career took off. And so, like, ultimately, you need you need both. You need that person who's like a horrible procrastinator, who's like virtuosic in a performance situation. Mm -hmm. And you you need that well-intentioned ass kicker who throws them out into discomfort. And so for me, like one of my great opportunities and struggles is to be that for people in investing where like you actually take them and you you thrust them past what I've heard kind of cheesily called like over through the bridge of fear into mm. into intelligent action. And mm. like you do that, you do that as a reflex. And for me, I do that with like great effort, but it is important and I think necessary work because otherwise people will just hunker into fear and complacency until something mm. breaks. And I think, what's his name? Mark, Marky Mark, sales, sales guru, Marky, your favorite. 
No, Mark. not Marky Mark. Mark. What's his last name? Oh, Mark Russ von is Mark. Mark von Musen. Yes. That guy, uh, that guy is a true virtuoso. He was a, previously a four-star general in the Tony Arm, Tony Robbins army. Oh, that really? Guy, that guy is fucking something else. <laughs> he really is. Well, I associate that with him. You know, forcing people to do stuff for their own in their own best interest. I would figure that I knew you did a lot of work with him on your sales. I'm yeah, sure not, that not personally, not personally. I'm, I am thinking about investing in that down the line because obviously like if you oh, can, wasn't he the coach in that program though. Yeah. Yeah. But those are mostly like modules and group calls. Like you can like, you know, depending on what, how much you're willing to invest, you can work with oh, them yeah. more, more personally. Oh, I know that's another thing that that's another thing that I think about is like, like how do you, when you scale something, getting past the worry that if you're not there to hold their hand every step of the way that they're somehow going to get hurt. And so like, you've obviously conquered Mm -hmm. that in selling a video course. That for me is something that I'm still, you know, as we were saying before, like pondering and trying not to over ponder is like clearing that as a hurdle. Yeah. And I, I mean, I am not taking that on in certain respects. There's, you know, I'm doing a coaching program with uh, 10 people and I specifically kept it at 10 and I'm not trying to scale it for that exact reason. Like other people using this model, they bring in other coaches and it becomes this much bigger thing. And they're constantly trying to enroll people and increase the number of people in the group, but it it can get away from you and it can become watered down. And I And and there's a lot of money to be made by scaling like that, but there's also a lot more headaches. You have to decide just what you want to spend your time doing and is it worth it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, one thing that I see that I don't admire at all is, and I definitely shouldn't like say any particular name, but you know it when you see it, is people who talk about people who talk about serving 200 million students and this and that, and then they have like three case studies and Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, so you're like hyping hyping people into doing this thing. And you've only got three people you can point to where it actually helped them. And so like scaling it to the moon and just, just neglecting that like a hundred, like more than a million people have been like left in the dust. Like to me, that's no good. Like you want like to me, and it might be unrealistic long-term, but like you want like an 80%, 95%, or so like compliance rate and success rate. Um, Otherwise, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? (laughs) I am 100% with you. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that success is really in the hands of the person doing it, right? I mean, that's why we're going back to the premium stuff. But you can give people your all. You can give them everything and you can give them the support. And if they don't show up and do the work, it it can't be on you. So it becomes, and I've noticed this in coaching too. It's like, you know, I started, I don't even like to call myself a coach because, because I started thinking of myself much more as a consultant. I'm here to give you, to show you the way, to support you when you are not sure what to do next, to support you on how to make these decisions. And it becomes much more about coaching the person through their own emotional limitations and their fears, because that's really what's going to stop them from doing all of this executional stuff. Oh, you couldn't be, I couldn't agree with that more. That's one thing that you see, like, I, don't, I doubt sincerely that you're an NBA fan, but I know Steve is like, if you've ever seen a world-class athlete airball a free throw, you know that like it had nothing to do with their physical body. There's just something mm. weird going on in their brain. And that mm. is like human, the human penchant for self-sabotage on the subject of money in terms of mm. income and investing is infinite unbelievably Mm -hmm. complex and yeah it's like it's something that you need to help them as best you can conquer that but you also like on our end just for our own like peace of mind have to understand that like if somebody just refuses they hunker down into that and they just refuse that's not on you that there was like you know you 
oh, you should ask, and but then not over ponder what could I have done. But there's yeah. a point where that that rumination and like self flagellation needs to stop <laughs> because sometimes you just can't. Well, and that's what I'm going back to when you're saying about how many people you can reasonably expect or even want to have success in working with them or your program because it's so reliant on them and because it's reliant not just on the tools that you give them or the information, but on their own mental state and how they approach it and how they follow through, then it becomes... I watch people do this because they're so concerned with with I, I think and I, I think of Mark, the sales guy again, because when I first heard him say stuff like this, it was like you're doing people a disservice by not giving them the information and pushing them really into taking the information that they desperately need and want in order to get to where they are. Whether or not they actually follow through with it is really on them. But for you to, and I have done this before, feel a responsibility, preemptively feel a responsibility. I, I've done this to people. I've said, I don't think, even though this person wants to do this, I don't think that they mentally will or can. So I'm not going to push them into doing that. And it's like, is that for me to say? You know, is that for me to preemptively say, I don't think you're capable of this? <laughs> or like, based on the way that you're talking, like, even though you say you want this, like, you know, it, it's not for me to say. That's not my responsibility. And really, I couldn't even know that. But when I think about whether or not you're going to take responsibility for somebody's success, and because so much of that comes with comes down to their mental state and coaching, you become you, me, essentially like the coach and the therapist for their 100%. mental and emotional breakthroughs. There's no way if you're teaching somebody, if you're helping somebody move forward in anything, there's no way if you're doing a half decent job of it that it doesn't go into EQ. Like mm-hmm. that's one thing that I'm I'm looking at on a daily basis. And as I like continue to turn the screws of simplicity in my marketing based on best practices, it's becoming more and more obvious is like the average person or really I mean, anybody is seriously undereducated in terms of their financial education and beyond that, their emotional education. There is not like empathy is not trained, required, rewarded anywhere. Like basically like a capitalistic society that doesn't have their eye on this is a breeding ground for sociopaths to rise to the top, which we're seeing across the Me Too movement. I mean, a lot of other things. And so like, how do you help people make up for decades of lost ground in those areas in a way that is compatible with what they're capable of in the moment. And yeah, that's one of those things where it's like, it's, you want to do an ace job of that, but then you also do want to like scale and help as many people as you can. And so what is, you know, and that's, it goes right back to, you need to ponder that or else you're just talking out of your ass and like probably not making a real contribution, even if you're making a lot of money, but you don't want to over ponder it to the point where you're helping like one person you know? And so like, you've got to straddle that balance. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, I mean, that's something I've been thinking about for years. Where does that, um, where does the responsibility end or when, yeah. where does it begin and end? I could, um, I could, I could have a slightly, I have a happy twist on that though. Cause that's pretty grim. I mean, uh, and it's for me, it's like, I have found, and I, but I haven't gone to the video course level. Like I feel like you've, mm-hmm. you've seen something there that I haven't yet to this point, but for me, like I used to have it and I did it with you and Steve. I used to like sit there and have everyone do all of the research with me because I wanted to make sure that there wasn't like a nuance missed, et cetera. And I eventually like in my course, like passed sort of the reins more and more to the person across like more autonomy. And I ended up working with in particular a mailman and a special education teacher husband-wife combo who live in San Francisco in their 50s who were coming off of divorces, both of them, and like trying to cobble together enough money for retirement. And I took them through it and I kind of like 
gave them way more slack. And they ended up finding their own investments without my help. And those investments have done better than the ones that, that like we did together. And so like as I like shoved them more into their own autonomy, mm-hmm. they did better. And then after the workshop, cool. they used the same principles and they started their own company together. And so they like to make more side income to throw into their investments while working as a mailman and a special education teacher. And so I'm like, my conclusion on that is if somebody is really, 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 really wants to and they're able to, they still have the time and the resources, then you should be relatively optimistic about what it is that they can do if you mm-hmm. give them free reign to do it with just the right amount of guidance. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it sounds like you are evaluating that and giving them direction. Is that right? On, on You're pushing them more or less to do it on their own if, based on yeah. what you see? First it's, like, first, it's like done with you. And yeah. then you maybe like slide it back a little bit to show you how. And mm-hmm. then you show it back sl- and slide it back to tell you how. And then now they're on their own. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it starts out relatively handholdy, but then it ends in like autonomy, which for me is the point. Which is so, for you, I know for you guys' brand ups, like that's the point. Exactly. Well, can you back up a second and just tell us? So, how exactly do you work? Tell our so, audience. So, I do a workshop. It's called the Your First Stock Workshop, AKA Fine Fat Fishes Swim School. And basically, <laughs> I help people clarify what it is that they want actually and how much it actually costs and then the Mm -hmm. mistakes that they're actually making and how much those mistakes are actually costing them Mm -hmm. which is a conversation that basically no one has ever had with anybody it's like like everybody thinks about compound interest but doesn't talk about it and so anyway do that first and then basically mobilize in how to exploit compound interest to get what you want and so that involves invest like basically like scanning your life first as a consumer like what are you addicted to what can you not stop giving time and money to i remember you said like i don't have any addictions but we found you some based on your entrepreneurial stuff and and so basically i I bought into it into it exactly (laughs) that is so boring that i bought into it and it's doing fine it goes back to what you're saying you're addicted to the numbers you're addicted to success i guess so i have to watch the expenses go out so so there was that (laughs) right and so like using your own addictions Basically, like, stop, like, first enjoy what you're doing. Think about it like a consumer, but then turn the screws and think about it as an investor. What is it? Mm. What do you enjoy that's also investable? Start there and then basically pick your first stock by teaching people how to properly vet a company, how to properly imbalance risk reward, how to properly take what seems like an endless mass of complexity and get it to what I call like one or two face melting facts that tell you the whole story. And so once you've got one stock clean, then you build your own portfolio on top of it. There's like a fancy technique called Koretsu investing based on uh, like Japanese idea of interconnected companies. And so I have like a fat fish family tree that, of course, Steve drew for me um, that I have people fill out. And so basically you build a thematic portfolio based on your own addictions and your own fascinations. And then once you've dialed in the stock picking, you flip it to investing. And basically I have people um, write an investing plan off the top of their head. And then I scrutinize it and we talk about best practices. And the idea is a 24% annualized return is the minimum acceptable that I have people shoot for as an amateur investor. And it's like, how do I double my money or better every three years as a hobby with no chance of any of my investments dropping to zero? And so basically, we we develop a plan based on that, based on what you want and the stocks that you've picked. And then after you've made every core decision and considered every important if-then, so you won't be caught off guard you put the mm-hmm. plan in motion. And so basically like if like if you and Steve had like built portfolios on top of Intuit and Amazon and then written out a, a one-page plan and importantly 
all of this stuff, your business plan, your investing plan, everything should be condensed to one page. Because if it is any longer than that, it will betray you at the worst moment. You know, like you need to be opportunistic and calm at the right moment when everyone else is freaking out. And the Mm -hmm. best way to do that is to do the thinking up front, walk away from it, but to have a time-stamped one-page plan that you can consult when you're about to lose your shit that keeps you actually doing the right thing. And so, yeah, that's, that's more or less it. And so people come in without any experience or confidence. And actually, the less experience, the easier it is to work with them. Like if you've gone through business school and become a value mm-hmm. investor, I, like, more opinions, I, right. I essentially can't help you. It's like, it's much harder to like, uh-huh. to um, quit smoking than to start smoking, uh-huh. you know? So like, so basically like the less experience, the better. And then they come out um, with their own portfolio, their own plan and like absolute confidence that they'll double their money or better every three years as a hobby in perpetuity without taking unnecessary risk. Yeah. And so for me, like I've been doing that one-on-one for some time and I'm now transitioning into doing it in groups. Mm-hmm. And and eventually I would imagine eventually I'd want to do it as a, mostly as a video course with some help as needed. But for mm-hmm. me, like I said, that's just kind of like overcoming your own fear. Cause like, you know, if people, if people are investing their nest egg, obviously you like you, I want and need a 95% compliance and success rate. Like, right. There always be that one person, yes. but like that person has to be the outlier. That like can't be the norm. Well, you should probably just start with the hybrid. I mean, I'm surprised you're not doing a hybrid right now, even even in the one on one. Like a lot of the information doesn't need to be said. A hundred percent. What are the what are the fundamentals that you're repeating yeah. over and over and over? Here, watch this 100%. video and then let's have a conversation. Right. Yeah. I don't need to explain this to you. That's the idea. Is like basically the way that I've been thinking about it is like you have a demonstration where you do it. And then the duplication is the assignment, like do yourself what you just saw me do in in your own terms, in your own way. And then a conversation where like, if you run into any problems whatsoever, bring them to that conversation and then Mm -hmm. we'll work it out. I think, I think that works at scale, but for me, I just have to like, I have to do that and just, and just make damn sure. (laughs) And so like first, like you were saying, like you start with probably 10, 20 people at the absolute maximum. And if that works, then you can start talking more. But uh, yeah, that, that to me, like that's my next evolution in terms of business is in like, you could say that's for the sake of income, but you could also say that's for the sake of impact where you're just trying to help more and more people change their lives and not get, and not get duped by all the fucking predators that are lurking around and trying to just like turn you into passive income in terms of time, money, and attention, because you're so scared. You don't know how to ignore them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See a lot of that. Uh, so where's your book? Where's my book? Yeah. That's okay. Oh. I know that's a funny thing for me to ask you, but yeah. I rem- I do no. remember that conversation now because I was it wasn't I don't I remember the follow up conversation that we had in Union Square where I was just saying I wasn't saying don't write a book you're a great writer I want to read your book I was saying like get your publisher or, or fuck a publisher you know publish it yourself with your own audience and you've been you're, building your own audience so what's the deal where's your book. You're 100% self-published, right? Yeah. I don't know. When the time comes, I probably talk to you about that. But for me, I don't know. Like I said, I'm interested in how you've been using your book. But for me, I find it interesting. I have the first four steps of my book, 12 Steps to Your First Stock, on my site. And then like here ends your free sample. If you want to learn more, it's a free gift for your first stock workshop graduates. And so like everybody who takes my workshop knows that they can get it as a gift at the end of it. And the number mm. of people, the number of people that want it is zero because they don't need more information. They've done it. And so like right. for me, for me, it's yeah. like, I don't think that a book for this 
is the correct distribution model unless you're just trying to get your name out there and just and make a bit of money in passive income like for me like if you actually want people mm. to do it you got to walk them through so i'm not i'm not saying anything, yeah. like that's obviously not the case with your book and whatnot but for me like in my experience with this it doesn't it hasn't really helped me other than to, to give people a like a sense of what this is about and also a sense that like I got a featured book review from the world's toughest book critic, and I and I don't even want you to read the book until you've done my workshop. <laughs> can, can I can I brainstorm with you for a second? Sure. I, I would imagine that your current book is. I mean, you're saying it's the twelve steps. I mean, this is some iteration of the twelve steps that you had written years ago. I remember well, yeah, you'd so, them as blog posts, and then yeah, is this it was, that it was originally the project pre poker confrontation when I was shopping it through my agency to publishers and whatnot, it was called the fuck up guide to finance how to make money in stocks without school reading or math. And they took a bit of issue with that, with the subtitle. So we were altering it to like how to make money in stocks without much school reading or math. And they were uncomfortable <laughs> at the time with fuck up in the title. And they're like, funny and quaint right now. <laughs> oh, and so, and my punishment, my punishment for that was every time that I was in an airport as I was dry, flying around, the number one and number two bestsellers were the subtle art of not giving a fuck uh-huh. and the and the barefoot investor. Mm-hmm. And uh, like mm-hmm. this guy Scott Pape, who's like a big deal in Australia and New Zealand, sort of like writing about defensive investing. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, I think I think I was onto something, you bastards. And they yeah. were, and so and they were like, yeah, they're quite cynical about that as the title but anyway so that was what it was and so that was like the whole method like all the way deconstructed and laid out and even though and this is the thing that i would share with anybody who's uh, listening to this who's discouraged by something that didn't work out it was so disappointing to me that that didn't work out the way that i wanted it to but it couldn't have been better because they galvanized me to getting my system really 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 cleanly laid out and pitched in like 20 pages mm-hmm. and so like that was that then was actually the blueprint that i could use to start the business and and the course and everything else so like even though it didn't work out it was right. i mean you was that more useful than my entire formal education combined yes you know mm-hmm. what i mean so like <laughs> so don't be discouraged by that and so for me like it is definitely an unresolved thing for me is like at some point you build an audience big enough you build an income big enough i would like to public to like return to that yeah. but to your point originally yeah don't you think books are a shit business model i think that if you can't be doing that in a situation where you don't need it, you don't need that yeah. that success, then you're not ready. You actually need that. You need to be, it's kind of like, it's funny. If you talk to people who are uh, recently broken up and they're kind of like freaking out about that, it's like, it's important to remind people either in a business or whatever other personal context alone, but not lonely is the most attractive thing you can be. And if you're like, please, 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 please take my book or please mm-hmm. kiss me on the cheek, do it. Like people are going to freak out and it's really unattractive. But if it's like, yeah, like I'm doing really well, maybe could be doing better, but like things are good. I'm happy. I'm, I'm like, I know exactly what I'm doing. You are, people want to jump in and like, it's those moments when you don't need them that people jump in with the offers. hundred percent. And I would never tell somebody to write a book as a, for passive income. Um, actually ha- having passive income from my book was uh, a delightful surprise, but not something that I wrote it for. Um, Opposite. I wrote it just for legitimacy. And Mm. because I think having a book gives legitimacy, but what it also gave me that I was hoping, but wasn't really anticipating or betting on was that so many people read it 
and then become fans and then come into my world. And it's like a great first way to come in. And you're such a good writer and whatever, however you've distilled it down into, I'm sure very explanatory in your process is not necessarily the book that I think you would want to publish. I think you'd want to take those pieces, but you would want to fill it out much more with story and yeah. oh, um, no, God. examples. A hundred percent. That's one, this is one area where I really, really, really miss having you and Steve around is like, cause for me, I couldn't agree with you more. Like one of my original theses coming into this was, you know, cause my formal training is in creative writing, typically yeah. like aggressive, <laughs> aggr- aggressively offensive comedies. People think of me as like a business, like people need to put you in a box. People think of me as like a business guy now. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like I major I in a comedy writer, aggressively offensive screenplay read this book i want to read this aggressively offensive humor is fun i'm dying to start coming out with that kind of marketing but like what you were saying before like i need you need to get your systems on a string before you can start doing that but i have accumulated probably more than ten thousand pages of material like and so like and so the idea is like how do you fuse creative elements so like if you read something like my favorite book on screenwriting is something called Save the Cat and it gives a really good account of like each of these pieces but like how do you fuse story character dialogue kill shots uh, like verbal kill shots etc uh, sight gags into best practices marketing because if you can do that if you can actually do a good job in your storytelling and character creation etc and you can bring sort of satire levity empathy to something as dry and horrible as financial marketing, then you are existing in a competitorless environment. And importantly, you can, you're just operating on a completely different plane than it's ever been done. Now, I think probably across most fields of marketing, but certainly financial marketing. And like the only person who's done a, like a good job of that, I think, is Michael Lewis. Even though he's not trying to help people get better at investing, he's done a good job of writing stories about the world of money. And so for him, he's that has been a path of least resistance for him. And so for me, like I couldn't agree with you more. And for me, like traveling the world, teaching people from all walks of life in multiple countries about this, and like all of the different stories that have come out of this. Like I've had people tell me that I've saved their lives. I've had other people tell me when I was figuring out how to do my sales call that like I destroyed their faith in humanity. It was only one person, but it was horrible. And so like you've like. And so like you, there are so many stories. And so at some point there should be like a good home to put those stories. But for me, it's like, it is secondary to, cause like what you were saying before, like you've got to master one sliver of this before you can do everything. But for me, like the reason that I love this project is that I have, there's no way that I can actualize all of the ideas that I have for it in one lifetime, even with amazing help. And so, and actually like a, an interesting counterpoint to that to me is like my first foray into writing I wrote as my college thesis project, The Frat Boy's Guide to the 4.0, How to Strap on a Pair of Gender Ambiguous Balls and Make College Work for You. And um, and, the, and so like I wrote the fuck out of that. I wrote that as my thesis and I got my agency with it. And they were like, they're like, we really don't believe in this book, but we this is very well done. So we, we're taking you on because of the projected strength of your next book. And in retrospect, the appropriate response to that is like, actually, I don't want you. I want somebody who believes in this book. I should have mm-hmm. said that, but I was a, a child yeah. and I was like so grateful to be in the room, which is always a mistake. But anyway, the problem was you take that out and they're like, listen, like this is well written, but like we have no proof whatsoever that your target audience reads books. Like 
get the hell out of my office, but come back with your next one. And so like, you don't have like the only way to prove them wrong is to build an audience with content. And the problem for me with that book was I have sub zero interest in writing about how to do well in college as like a 25 year old, much less a 36 year old, no interest. And so the problem was I was never going to market that book. And so mm-hmm. like that was either going to work out or it wasn't. But this is one of those things where like there is an infinite, there is an infinite number of business opportunities and creation and contribution opportunities in the field of financial education. If you're actually thinking about it in a half creative way. And so like you can do this for life. And so for me, like everything that you're saying, like I'm very, very intrigued about how to improve in other ways that I'm focused on right now. But for me, it's like for like because I'm doing this by myself and because I'm of the Steve variety more than the P of variety. I was going to say this is a P answer. Yeah, I have I have to be very very <laughs> I have to be very very careful about you know doing thirty five thousand things shittily rather than one thing right. extraordinarily well. God, but that book that you're talking about, you are the person to write that book. And it doesn't have to be the book. It can be your first book. And it doesn't have to be published. It can be self-published. I just feel like that book basically exists in the, what I can only imagine are 10-foot piles of paper that are right behind the laptop where I can't see them because yeah. um, that's what your desk looks like. Yep. Here. You, you've written this book. I mean, I, I'm not saying... I know it won't be easy, especially for you, because it's all about the because you have 10,000 pages. But I just don't see why you would why you would wait. I think, you know, I think you're saying that you would need to synthesize this process down to a level that you'll you'll never feel that way. It will always be getting better. You have gotten so far at at this point. It's time. I want to see your book. I think you could publish your book and I think you you relatively quickly. What do you think the book should be about? I think it should be a combination of the very high level aspects of your of your process uh-huh. paired with lots of stories. And by the way, I have to mention that you are a, a key reason that my book Badass Your Brand came out the way it did because I gave you a draft which was basically just ramblings and you were like, "Hey, take that and just put it into this structure." And you gave me like a couple of suggestions and I did that like in two days. And then that was my book. (laughs) It was you gave me the the outline and the tools for taking what was a lot of information um, and putting it into a very neat and and not that long book. I mean, I'm just saying like that book has done wonders for me and and you're the perfect person to create that. And And the structure that you gave me in that book is a perfect structure for you, too. It's basically like small lessons with lots of stories around them. And, and like little, mm-hmm. little essays, basically. Yeah, I remember, I, I remember that. For some reason, I remember, remember that? It was such a, I remember Steve was like, you saw me reading it. And Steve was like, oh, somebody's reading it now. And you were, looked so nervous. You were like so <laughs> unguarded that I was like, all right, I'm going to turn this around and do a good job. And so I did that in like less than 24 hours. And I'm, but I'm glad, it, I'm glad it was useful for you. you. Kidding? That's why my book is structured the way that it is. Well, you're a perfect example. Like, I, I gave you, I mean, I did definitely make it easy, but I gave you simple but difficult adjustments to take. And then you like put your fucking entire soul into making those adjustments. Because I look at the Forbes thing and I forgot exactly what I wrote, but I remember when I, the, when I first saw your Forbes stuff, I was like, oh my God, she's like, she's applying it to that. And like, you just like no. took it. Yeah. It just such a, and I remember one of the things was just like you and Steve had such a good opportunity to have your work be like a duet. 
where like he was illustrating mm-hmm. your ideas and like I don't know. like you and Steve. <laughs> well, yeah, I I definitely um, Steve Steve is one of my favorites of all time. I I have a hard hard bromance with Steve, although he he hasn't had time to do the more fat fish, and that's been one thing for me was like we didn't realize when you guys did when we did the brand up that line art is the hardest art to do because the intention you guys said was that I would be able to it do was. it, but there's such I know. there's such a difference between having something be satirically shitty and just having it be shitty like when i do like i could show you obviously nobody else would be able to see this but like i have some fat fish scribbled on this board and they're like (laughs) i mean if you compare them to steve's fish who's a professional artist and like a great artist the only person i know who can call himself an artist and it works because he really is one um like it's just so bad people would be like has this guy lost his mind like what is the what the hell is this so i literally need professional artists now to do it (laughs) Yeah, so so that was definitely the intention. Steve made you this mascot fish that was supposed to be satirically shitty, but on purpose so you could draw it. And to be fair, those cartoons really evolved. They got a lot more complicated with the with the fish dressing up as different characters. Yeah. I mean, they at, at first it was just the fish. People it was just people that's one of the things i don't know i mean we're getting (laughs) the one thing is i think about i don't this isn't something that fuels me but like obviously when you go your own road there's going to be a lot of people that doubt you and coming out of new york ironically and you're doing something that's kind of like you could accuse it of being sort of anti-traditional finance which i don't intend it to be but it could be it could be construed as that like there's a lot of people that i think would really love to see this fail and it's not going to fail because it's super anti-fragile and so for me i'm like i'm like your penalty for not believing in this is one day you will see this stupid fat fish everywhere like you won't (laughs) be able to go somewhere without seeing this stupid fish and for me like it's not like a near-term goal and if it doesn't happen i wouldn't really care that much but i think at some point our dumb brain baby me you and steve like that thing will be everywhere and that is one thing i think is a major opportunity for it is like what if education had a mickey mouse and and like and the world of finance had like a mario and a Luigi and a Bowser and a whatever. And so for me, like that's, if you're talking about like mainstream stuff, that to me is like, if you were to fortify a strong enough core business and a strong enough audience, I think you could start launching experiments like that into the atmosphere. And the number of like branding opportunities are liter- oh literally lim- limitless. Well, I've always seen it. I'm And I have this image. I don't know. I'm sure I told you this at once. Actually, I I know I said this to you because I think you're the one who pointed out that there's some show on ABC or there was where there's a cartoon and everyone else is people and it's like He-Man or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like you told me about this show. ABC. I don't know. I could do it. There's some show where it's just some regular stupid family comedy show, but the dad is like He-Man in cartoon form. Oh yeah, well my yeah my yeah. old friend and, and kind of mentor Reed Agnew he he created that show. Uh, yeah, what, it, what no. the hell was that? No, I oh hold on, I got I'll Google him real quick. It'll it'll pop okay. right up. What about it? No, so so just to give a visual. Son of Zorn. Son of Zorn, right? Which I mean, I watched like one episode because I think you told me to watch it. But on that note, I picture the fat fish the fat shitty fish interviewing people talking to people and it's your voice and you're the fat fish but it's the fat fish on the screen with whoever 
And, you and also had, you had another thing where you wanted me to do videos and, and the fat stick would be like hovering over my shoulder. That's also <laughs> yeah, utterly viable. Many things I want you to do with this fish. I just think that it's it's got a little Stewie in it, you know. Is Stewie, yeah, Stewie's the baby. Is Steve is Steve in the background? What is? Did you just look at Steve? No. Oh, I thought Steve was. No, there. no, no. That's where I look when I'm trying to access mm. memory. It's got a little Stewie in it. It's just got I mean, your your voice, the the fat fish. Oh, maybe it was when you're doing the webinar. I wanted the fish kind of uh, South Park yeah, level. Exactly. Of, animation I think, I think if you can south park if you can south park finance and or education that would be good and so that's one I thing i've been thinking about that. but but yeah it's like a- it's a we it's a weird balance though because i did um like uh, oh i spent so much time on a webinar that was like aggressively it was scripted which is a mistake and it was heavily visualized so there was like a fish on every slide etc and it it came off a little bit as like it was clever but it wasn't personal and so one thing that I'm trying to straddle is like, you know, you work satire and everything, and that's good for attention grabbing, make people laugh and have me too moments. But on some level, it does also need to be you. And so like one thing I really don't want to do, and I, I I mean, you and Steve helped me arrive at this really early on, which I appreciate. Like I never would want to be like how many financial services have some like white guy from New York going like this, you know, like you don't want to ever do or be that. Yeah, but you need you do need like a little bit of you and also yeah. the fish. And so for me, like, yeah, that's another piece of balance that just needs to be like experimented with and achieved in every single different medium that you go on. For example, on my Instagram, which has been inactive for a while as I've been focusing on other things, but I have fun on there and I'll be back on there. I don't even know if it makes sense to use me or to use the fish as the headshot of Instagram. And so it's like those kinds right. of decisions, you know. I know. You got to get back here. You got to get back to Brooklyn. I, I miss Brooklyn. I miss Brooklyn very much. I like it a lot in Wellington, New Zealand. It's a hell of a place to be. I mean, obviously right now, even better. But but I do very much miss the culture of worst of all. It was, it's like I've, I very much subscribe to the idea that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with to the point where like you should move heaven and earth and invest whatever it is that's necessary, money, time, whatever else, to be around those right people in terms of teammates, coaches, whatever, friends. Although, as you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're like, who the hell has time for the luxury of friends? Like, I have allies, I have mentors, but... I miss friends here in Brooklyn. I'm I'm fiending for some friends. Zoom doesn't cut it. Need some real-world connection. Mm. Okay, well, we could chat all day, but I appreciate you. Brooklyn misses you. Worst of all, studios miss you. Well, I miss you. I miss you guys right back. When the world calms the hell down, you guys are certainly welcome to uh, fly Axel out here anytime. I'm ready. I'm ready as soon as we're allowed to. I mean, the whole idea is is to, you know, travel the world with him um, and have have the entrepreneur lifestyle with our kid, because why not? You guys will definitely do that. You guys will definitely do that. I think that's what we're trying to build, too. But anyway, thanks for having me. It's been lovely to, to catch up publicly like this. Awesome to catch up with you. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Okay. If you're interested in learning more about multiplying your money with Cole, and if you want to check out the badass brand that we built for him long ago, go to findfatfish.com and grab his free book, 12 Steps to Your First Stop. Steve and I are actually finally jumping into the investing game with Cole, and it's been really fun and exciting so far. So I'll keep you guys posted on what happens with that in the future. Also, if you know other entrepreneurs who are struggling to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us, please share this podcast with them. 
hard work can only take you so far. It's how you show up in your business that really makes the difference. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. Taking inspiration from Cole today, ask yourself, do you have people in your life, or at least your business life, who are willing to tell you the hard truths? Who don't mind pushing you into the deep end of the pool, so to speak? Sometimes we shy away from those voices and can get complacent in our lives or businesses. So it's really powerful to have people around who are willing to say things that you might not want to hear. It can be a friend, colleague, or maybe even a business coach. Yes, I've paid people quite a bit to be that reality check for me. This week, think about who that person is for you. And if you don't have one, consider finding one. That might just be your next step in showing your business who's boss.